After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome to Mind Rolling on location in far off New York City. Far off, far yeah. out, far out for far yeah. off for me, for you. It's like it's uh, my home, baby. Yeah. But this is we're in you know, you know we're in New York City, right in the middle, Fifty Third and Seventh, Raga Marcus, David Silver, and we're here with Noah Lampert and Henrietta Weeks, my friend of many years, also an English person. So we have oh. only one American out That's of four right. people: oh. a Canadian, two English people. I'm American. American. How yeah. about that? Yeah, this, now you'll know how he feels. Wow. This oh, is our okay. field recording back in New York. The last time we did this, we did this with Noah a couple, of, well, a year and a half ago or something yeah, like that. something like that. So uh, before we get into some of this stuff, um, I want to reiterate and announce on, with my other hat that our new book, so if we're talking about, you know, you guys supporting and so on, what we're doing here at MindPod Network and Mind Rolling. We have our new book, Love Everyone, and I'm going to show it to Henrietta. And Love Everyone is out Tuesday. When this podcast, I think this podcast will be out on Monday and on Tuesday. Love Everyone by Parvati Marcus, who is my ex-wife. We worked on this together. Show you how how nice things can be. After. <laughs> even after getting separated. Uh, we, um, this was like 20 years in the making, and it's about the stories of those people, Westerners, that followed Ramdas back to India. Not all of them, but most of them. Found out about Neem Karoli Baba, went to India, met him, and uh, told their stories, which are really amazing in that they're all Westerners, and the kind of trials and tribulations that they went through on that journey and meeting this very special being, uh, everybody can relate to. And so there's a lot of really good uh, uh, endearing stories and heart opening stories, but also funny, pretty funny stuff happened. How do they get that online, listeners? Very good. How do they get it online? You go to ramdas.org slash love everyone and you will get to a link which will take you either to buy the physical book or the ebook. So uh, please do that, everybody, because it'll. If you go through Amazon. It's going to help support the MindPod Network. It's also going to help support Ramdas.org. Uh, so it's a twofer. Yeah. Huh? Mm -hmm. Double win. And everybody, uh, I want to thank everybody too. And I keep telling this to David because he came up with this idea uh, some time ago about. Gee, it would be great if everybody just put 
you know, a monthly stipend to the network to help support it. So that's been happening. I mean, I'm getting emails. We're getting emails every week with people uh, doing recurring donations of small amounts. We suggest $9 because it's a sacred number, 108, mm -hmm. derivative. And uh, thank you, everybody, because you have been uh, doing it and supporting it. And those of you out there who haven't heard about it or have been considering it and on the fence about it, we'd uh, love to have you aboard because it helps support uh, all of the activities that we are doing, not just the podcast. There's a whole wisdom section on the site, and we're about to release a, a wonderful app called the Heart Mind app, which will be chock full of uh, all sorts of resources to help people get their life in balance and that's what we're all about here at mind rolling and mind pod network and uh dave i'm going to let you take a crack here at uh our first because you just came up with this really fantastic thing uh about uh, this is an interest that we've had did it's about christ everybody <laughs> jesus he went to india is what we heard and when i was in india i bought some books about how there's a tomb there and there's all sorts of stories about him spending X amount of time in India before he went back uh, uh, to Israel, uh, to Palestine, whatever it was called back then. Um, and David found some new resource to confirm the reality of this, having some connection with the Tibetans. Tell us about it a little bit, huh? Well, people talked about this a lot in the late 60s. You know, in the late 60s, lots of talk about this. And I distinctly remember, um, you know, because so few of the people I knew at any rate were going to church or even discussing Jesus. And um, we were discussing, you know, what kind of LSD or, um, you know, various sadhus from India or, you know, the Rolling Stones. But this was part of it suddenly when people said, Jesus Christ spent a considerable amount of time in the Himalayas and Tibet and in, I believe, northern India. And he was known as Saint Issa, I-S-S-A. And online, I follow this <clears throat> website called messagetoeagle.com. Hmm. No idea why it's called that, because I'm not obsessive about it, but I, I occasionally look at it. How did you find that? Um, how did I find that? It was, I believe it was accessed by something maybe as prominent as HuffPost. Oh, okay. But it might not have been HuffPost, but I don't remember. Something it's, like it's, that. It's a week or so ago. But yeah, I found it through cool. something else. And basically, I'll read the opening paragraph. It's a, a controversial scroll known as The Life of Issa, The Best of the Sons of Men, reveals how Jesus spent several years in India, Tibet. To some, this might be an impossibility, while others consider the events presented in this document highly probable. The document was brought to light in 1887 when Nicholas Natovich came across it during a visit to the Hemis Monastery in Ladakh, India. Natovich, a Belarusian Jewish adventurer who was a Russian, a Russian doctor, journeyed extensively throughout Afghanistan, India, and Tibet and wrote a book called The Unknown Life of Christ. And that's what we read in the 60s. So they've just sort of started talking about this again. Yeah. And we'll talk about different, I'll quote different parts of it, but basically the real important revelation is that um, I was once at a Thanksgiving thing with, with someone called Krishnadas <laughs> and someone brought up Jesus. 
And he said, Jesus was a yogi, that's all, a great one. And then there was a little bit of conversation. Most of the people were very disposed to listen to KD talk about this, but he said this about three, three, four years ago. And what Notovich and later Nicholas Rorick, who we've talked about and is also a subject of a podcast that Danny Goldberg and I did, these guys were Russians who went into Tibet to find uh, shambolic relics, artworks, and teachers. Mm. And they, uh, what actually happened was that Notovich was in some place, which we'll talk about later, and broke his leg and had to stay in one place. And at that time, came across his skull. And in this scroll, it says that Christ not only, you know, taught in those places, but learned in those places. So possibly his astonishing siddhas, which is what they were, miracles, were taught to him via Tibetan, Mm. not just iconography, but teachers, and by uh, what they call here swamis, and that he was part of that. Now, obviously, Presbyterians, Methodists, Church of England, Catholics, Mormons, Seventh-day Adventist Ben Carson (laughs) would say that, you know, I should be put in some part of a jail for saying this. But why? How do they know more than I do or we do about this? I mean, they've got those four Gospels which were written after he died. Not a single word was written by him. And these are scrolls written by people who had nothing in the game. They had no horse in the barn. They just were writing about what this guy came. They saw him, they met him, saying to Issa, wow, you can do this. He's beautiful, he's nice, he's friendly, he's gentle. At the same time, he taught an advanced form of of, uh, compassion, Mm -hmm. loving kindness. Mm -hmm. And that was not the teachings before that in the West. And I won't go into that because it's utterly controversial. I don't want anybody to think that I'm saying anything negative about where Christianity came from and the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. But he was the innovator in bringing forgiveness into the picture big time. Mm -hmm. So... Now, just to finalize this first rap, the Mormons believe that Jesus came to North America yeah. and, and encountered Native Americans. Really? And they believe this fervently. I worked with Mormons for a year, and I talked to them extensively about this, and they do believe wow. that Jesus came through the ethers, not on a boat, to the United States, to pre-United States, and taught Native Americans, and that's why there is what they call a crossfire um, tradition in, in certainly in the Lakota tribes in the Sioux. Oh. They got it from Jesus first. And then Mormons say this. Now, other people would say, that is such crap, I don't even want to hear you saying this. So there's a lot of people could say this about this, we can't prove it. But the connection between being a, a yogi or even more a siddha and being Jesus Christ, obviously there are total parallels. And it seems to me that this would be quite plausible given the similarities between the miracles of the Siddhas and the miracles of Christ consciousness. So that's, that's... But there, there's, there is physical evidence here, you're saying. There's a scroll. scroll. There's a scroll. Now, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was a whole different thing. Because in the original Dead Sea Scrolls, they were controversial because they said things about Judaism, which were disputed. But they didn't, as far as I know, mention Jesus. This is a different scroll. And he, Notovich learned it in a monastery when he came there after having an accident that broke his leg. And he had to get somewhere, so he stayed there. And in this monastery, uh, he located a Tibetan translation of the legend. Mm. And carefully noted in his, in his diary, Carnet de Voyage, over 200 verses from the curious document known as the Life of Saint Issa. Mm. So, uh, Acharya 
Murdoch, a scholar, researcher, writes that Nodovich claimed that Indian merchants brought the account of Jesus to Himis, and that they had actually witnessed the crucifixion. Indeed, the text begins with, this is what is related on this subject by the merchants who came from Israel, reflecting not that Jesus lived in India, but that the Jesus tradition was brought to India and Tibet. Ah. Uh, there's a lot more here, but we can just start with that. Right? Mm. Wow. Pretty amazing, right? I mean, I have, well, a, question. How I have a question. Yeah. So how does that fit in with Neem Karoli Baba's idea that Hanuman and Christ are the same? How does this fit in? Is that just a metaphysical interpretation, a metaphor, or is it just a, a, something that sits below that or it emanates from something more primordial than that and that these things or was there a physical being Jesus who went and learned from Tibetan what do you what do you think well I all I know I mean I went to India yeah yeah I was a nice Jewish <laughs> yeah yeah from Montreal <laughs> yeah I never read the New Testament right I knew nothing about Christ except my teachers who had I've told this before on the podcast who had numbers on their you know, on yeah, the insides yeah. of their arms, they came from concentration camps, and he was. I was told he was bad. Okay, that's how. I mean, not that I believed any right. of it. It was right. really just completely screwy. But I didn't think about it at all for all those years uh, until I got to India and I got to Nimkaroli Baba. Right. And it's a famous story where I said, "Hey." figured I'm with an Indian guru I ought to get a mantra so I said well I thought well how do you how should I meditate think he was going to give me a mantra of some Sanskrit uh, words and he said meditate like Christ when he died he was there was he was not there was not a matter of pain he was lost in love with every sentient being and that became oh my god he's talking about Christ I'm, I'm yeah, yeah yeah and then he said wear your cross how come you're not wearing your cross? <laughs> I'm Jewish. What, you know? So the next day Ram Dass came, and I won't go into the details except to say I, I asked Ram Dass to ask Maharaji, we called him, how did Christ meditate? And when he, he did ask that, it was actually Krishnas, you, you mentioned, of course, and Ramesh, there was like just four or five people around, sitting around him, including Ram Dass, and he closed his eyes, and you could see he was just you know, going within. And then suddenly tears came down from his eyes and he started crying. And we were all like, oh my God, what is going on here? We didn't say a word. And Christ manifested. So whether, uh, you know, and he said over and over and over, you don't understand. Mm. He kept saying, you do not understand. He never died. He lives in everyone's hearts. Mm. He was lost in love with every sentient being. So he was making a reference to a being. Mm. Okay, that's for sure. He was also making a reference to a state of consciousness. Right. So both of those things were okay. happening at the same time. And the fact that uh, David uh, you know, found this thing, which we've been interested in, yeah. because we've always wondered, why did he put so much emphasis yeah. on Christ? And ultimately, we really do think it's around the consciousness. Right. Nothing right. necessarily having to do with the physical being. And you know, this, it's irrelevant. And he was a... Right. Obviously, like David said, he was a great yogi. Right. Uh, tantamount to the, you know all the things that Maharaji did. You know, right. In terms of manifesting miracles and all that stuff, 
but ultimate was the compassion. David said it, mm. compassion and love. And that's what he was trying to share with us mm. because it's in our bones right. in the Western culture. Even if you're Jewish, and we realize that afterwards, even if you're Jewish, we are coming from the Judeo, Christ was Jewish. Yeah. So it's coming from that tradition. What happened well, subsequently, as you said, with the church and everything yeah. well, else. That's is, the yeah, problem. That's the, a different the, thing, yeah. right? The, I mean, that, well, yeah. that's the, the, the prejudice comes from, there is a prejudice. But, yes. And it comes from the idea that Judaism turned into Reform Judaism, which dismissed the mystical. Mm. That was a central yes. part of it to make it a bourgeois activity. And I yeah. don't write to me about it. Because I, 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 mean, I really don't, because I don't believe that one way or the other. I'm just saying that that's what happened, mystical and, and the same with Christianity. When you go to a church, usually people aren't talking about mystical transformation into compassion and consciousness. They're talking about you should do this, you should do that, and that's great. But don't say that what the other thing is is not connected with what you were originally part of, which is the mystical connection between a great being and all sentient beings. So, you know, I rem I've got to tell a story. I went to a, a dinner party in, in Washington once, and, um, well, would they be listening to this? No, they're not going to be listening to this. What? I was in, I was, I would, it's a story. You want a story, I'll tell you. Yeah. A fucking great yeah. story. Yeah. I'm in uh, Jerusalem, and I'm making a film in 1990 about the West Bank and the refugee camps and so on, right? And I met at a bar in West Jerusalem a CNN reporter who was the first um, reporter to be taken captive by terrorists. And he was very well known. I don't want to say his name. I don't remember his name, to be really honest with you. But anyway, I met him there. And we became really friendly. And he told me that he was very impressed by Ted Turner, who finally got him out of there without government help. But he was the very first major journalist to get out. So, okay. So I, I was with him for three weeks on and off in the hotel, talking to him, you know, hanging out with him, having a drink, whatever. And he said, come to my house in Washington and meet my wife when you come back to the States. I'm going back in a couple of weeks to do that. And so uh, two months later or something, I was in Washington and went to have dinner with him and his wife in their house. And they had this beautiful Georgetown townhouse. It was exquisite. And it was a nice dinner. And then his wife said to me, so what, um, are you like religious person? I said, no, no, not at all. She said, not at all. I said, I'm a spiritual seeker at best. And she said, oh, oh, so what church are you from? I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm Jewish. Oh, okay, okay. So what do, you, what do you believe in? I said, and I started to talk about, you know, the whole rigmarole, yoga and blah, 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 blah. And there was a long silence. And she said to me, you have to leave my house. No. Why am I telling the story? Because of this. And I said, what? And her husband was quite still. He didn't make a move or anything. I said, why do I have to leave your house? He said, because we can't allow black magic in this house. It's a Christian house. And I said, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. I, I just, I, okay. And I got up and she got up and she led me to the door. No. And saw me out. <laughs> and I could see the she demon out. out. Yeah. <laughs> she led me to the, and, and so and I went out and got my car and drove back to my hotel and was flabbergasted. She was appalled yeah. by this. But yet, not an uncommon story. No. Really. 
I was right? gonna say I, 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 it's, I have it's a common my stepdad phenomenon. told me Phil he still told me a story like that where he was with someone yeah. and it, the, the, everything was cool and then the subject somehow switched yeah. to religion and things got not cool really <laughs> fast if you're not in the system you know, well, I wouldn't dare magic. bring it up where I live. That's yeah, true. yeah. I live in the south. Yeah, sorry about that. Or in parts sure. of England. Well, yeah. The, yeah, but this. Let, let me just preview that. But this mm. wasn't just sort of. A, this was a very bright guy who I got really friendly with in Jerusalem. Yeah. Who was a major kind of. He was a good investigative journalist and was really. Mm. I respected mm. him and everything. So this came from a yeah. family that, and his wife was very sophisticated and everything. But that doesn't so it have anything like, to do with it. No right? that flash of lightning. She you know, just no. threw me out of the house. Threw me out, and I felt like a real, you know, I don't know, like a pariah, like a pariah on the street in Georgetown, you know, looking for my car. And going, why did I ever come here? And remembering how much I liked this guy and how what a great rapport we had when we were talking about uh, talk the Intifada. You know? Did you talk to him again? Did Never. You? No, yeah. I was appalled. I ran away and said, "Fuck them!" Yeah. You know, I, they can't. You know, I, I wasn't preaching it. I was just saying, "This is what yeah. you know, I'm into." Right. And to meditate. You know. Well, this is so, this is common, and you could find it common if you went into a, a uh, Hindu household, perhaps, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. if you had just shaken the hand of a Muslim, and they knew about that. And if it was an Orthodox Hindu household, mm -hmm. they wouldn't feed you. They wouldn't do. I mean, this is all possible in every mm -hmm. every uh, religion, religion, every tradition that, uh, unfortunately, is gone to more towards fear than love, mm -hmm. and that's really what happens. And uh, and that's just the state of man. And unfortunately, in this world, it's really manifested in spades. So, yeah. I mean, it's a shame, but this particular thing about Jesus is in, is very uh, wonderful and positive, as opposed to that, because it, it brings an axis, a real axis between very different disciplines, teaching disciplines, if you like, and mm. says this is you know this is all the same ground of being, mm. no difference here, and that you know the, this other stuff, that you know I mean look, I don't want to say bad things about Christianity. I love Jesus, and I've met many preachers that I really liked, mm. preachers, fathers. Many, but Christianity in the year 34 was one thing, but in the 16th and 17th century during the Inquisition, when it was Christianity that first persecuted the Jews heavily in Portugal and Spain, and then the rest of us, the rest of everybody who didn't agree with her, that's what it went to. And for people, and there's a lot of controversy now because, you know, in the Arab, uh, Israeli, and other conflicts, there's a lot of statements by. Middle Eastern people that this was a second crusade, the Iraq war of, uh -huh. of yeah. 2013 or whatever it was. And that, you know, that we are just responding to the Inquisition folks. Mm. You know, we're giving it back to you. And I, I st that's still said. So, I mean, you know, I'm pushing this conversation into something else, which is that, you know, history is only important in, in the sense that we, we got to know what we're dealing with. What is the karmic chain that leads to this, uh -huh. yes. which is bullshit? I mean, people hating each other because of religion. Yeah. Krishnamurti never advocated that. Bertrand Russell never. Jesus never. And Maharaji. None of these people, great people, ever said, you know, just divide yourself up and hate the other people. None of them. Not that. Not Ma that portion. Machiavelli. Of Machiavelli, right? Exactly. Yeah, he, he might have. Yeah. 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 People like uh, evil people geniuses. Like yeah. You know. yeah. 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 Well, there's always ignorance. There has been ignorance from the dawn of time. 
and a lot of suffering, and it's about how you deal with it all. And um, I mean, how much do we talk about people that we we run into, especially, of course, what's going on now, and we talk about politicians, and we talk about mm -hmm. polarity, mm -hmm. and we talk about how we become part of that polarity because of our uh, aversion to this ignorance which is so strong and which is hurting so many people so you know we talk mm -hmm. about that um, I was I want to tell you a story I was just at a, a conference um, in Baltimore called Social Venture Network uh, and these are people who have gotten together over many years and are companies that are interested in having some real impact in with their businesses both to do social action and to help new companies that are coming up to help them on their path towards being way more conscious. And it's a terrific organization. So um, one of the things that they do is they have a lot of breakout groups on each day. And one of them, and I've been going for a few years, men's group. They have a women's group and a men's So you get together and it's an hour and a half this is perfect for you. I wish you had been there, David. I'm so um, sorry I wasn't. Yeah, there. no, no. If you had been there, I'll, and I'll tell you. So they, they, we all got together. There was yeah. maybe, oh, I would say about 40, 50 men, right? Even, uh, and I have resisted it this whole time because this is absolute you know, garbage to me. I mean, men's group? Can I go in the women's group? That's what I'll you know, right. That's what I asked. Right. Yeah. So, but my friend Gagen Baba, Jared, he said, look, you got to try it. You're the one who says, you know, you, you, you got to be open to everything. So try it. Go there. So I did. And so they set the ground rules, which were, uh, you know, being open and listening. And you know, so it breaks up into groups of five, mm -hmm. uh, four or five. And uh, you just let go your deepest stuff to the people, you have three minutes and then they can respond for a couple of minutes to either help you or make comments or something. And I thought, oh Christ. Yeah, exactly. like, what am I? What am I going, you know, am I going to share something really deep? And are these people going to share something really deep that I'm going to... Anyhow, the people that I was with, for the most part, talked about their careers and they talked about changes that were going on in their careers and some of the difficulties, maybe they had gone through a divorce or something, but nothing of tremendous substance. So I don't know what led me, but I actually <laughs> said something real, wow. which mm. was, I just was in the jungle in India with this amazing <laughs> being, okay? And I was in a state that for the, the three or four days that I was there, I absolutely was not thinking about myself the whole time. I said, can you imagine not thinking about yourself once the whole time and just not being involved in looking at your watch or your phone? Or, of course, there's no phones. There was no electricity. There was no nothing. There was no bathrooms. Okay, it was that far. He had a cave. There was a building where they fed people in a temple uh, in his room. And I said, so I came back. I was so connected because when you're in this kind of a situation that reflection just reflects on who your more true nature shall we say and so you become way more in tune and way more in harmony and I came home and I was in lovely harmony of course David's 
was the only one I really ta talked about. And now I'm telling everybody, all right, <laughs> you know, 10 to 20,000 people are going to listen or whatever it is. Um, and I said, in this group, I came home. I didn't, so I got back into the world, including my relationship, my wife. And there was, a, you know, you, which we get into our little triggers, all mm -hmm. of you out there that are married or have relationships of any sort, you understand. And I did not want to give up my space. And I got angry. And, uh, and I had a tough couple of weeks coming back because once I got angry, then I realized, what in the hell is any of this worth if I went and did this and had this experience mm -hmm. and I'm coming back and I'm just falling on my face, you know? And I was highly judgmental of myself. And so I, I'm telling them this. And they're all like, what? first of all, you're in a jungle with, with yeah, what? Why? <laughs> a yogi that sits in caves forever or, you know, meditates in water for, you know, 12 hours at a time. They, you know, that was unfathomable and they were just, you know, and plus I, you know, I was being absolutely present and honest about this and they were kind of scouting around and skirting around what, what it is that they were going through. So, uh, it ended. Then the whole group got together. This part you would love, David. Mm -hmm. Oh, let's hold hands now. So we all, okay, we all hand, held hands and we started going dancing. In a, oh, I'm on the plane. Uh, yeah. I'm on the plane, <laughs> man. I'm gone. And, no, and then singing, singing a sing song. We love men, we love each other. Oh my God. In, a, in a kind of sing songy thing. Uh, and then they said, let's do a round. And first of all, I went into this place because I shared this thing and I was in this deep and this just put me into like, oh, oh my God, I thought I was going to kill myself. I kept, they're holding the hand and I kept pulling because there's the door. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I finally ripped my hand away and ran out. You the door. did? Yeah. Really? I did. Well, I did it surreptitiously. <laughs> when they all got together, then they got together. And they were jumping up and down in a big group. It was like uh, like football at the end of the game when everybody's happy or something, or basketball. Uh, anyhow, it was absolutely insane. But so all of this just leads me. Oh, yeah, no, go ahead. Well, do yeah, you think, I, do you think, I'm sorry. Oh, I wanted to ask I'll take what, all questions. Yeah, what, so how did they respond to you sort of after, like did they, were they shocked and then they just kind of ignored you and carried on with their songs? No, the, the, uh, well, first of all, the people, you, you're yeah. in this conversation with these people and each person is talking and then yeah. the thing is over and then everybody gets together. So that once everyone got together, got into this crazy mm -hmm. new age thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the people that were there, the four people and, and myself that were there in that moment, actually it was three and myself, they, st their worlds did get stopped for a moment because mm -hmm. I went into this space yeah, and you they said couldn't something true yeah, from the heart. Yeah. And what I was talking about was so exotic in a way mm. that they were their attention wrapped was yeah. Yeah, was gotten. So they stopped their world stopped and they just rested from a minute from talking about their careers or any of that stuff. And and so the yeah, the power of the moments yeah. shifted all of their energies. Exactly, it yeah. made a change. Yeah, so it yeah. did. And and it was what it was supposed to be. I didn't plan to do that, but I was just I couldn't believe that they were not being substantive, mm -hmm. you know. And but I that, just, that speaks to the look. fact that for those people, I mean, with all my, you know, own personal mockery of this, uh, the only difference between now and, and 
and a younger, crueler time in my life. Mm-hmm. I do understand when I would just have run, I mean, and probably cursing. But I've begun to understand that, you know, when people do things and it's not horrible, it's just something that they're getting off on and it is evolving them on some level, then I can buy it as long as I don't have to actually do it if it doesn't feel right. You know, it's like in the old days, you know, Aston, these things, yeah. you know. I mean, but, what? E-E-S-T, Est, it's a... Werner Earhart. Werner Earhart, it was a a path that was a gyan or intellectual path, Mm -hmm. but had ritual and shamanistic kind of thing mixed into it. And it was hugely popular between like 68 and 73 or whatever, pre-Marianne Williamson, pre-all of that. And I was appalled by it because there were things about, you know, being sitting in a room for 20 hours, not being allowed to go to the bathroom, things like this. Okay. Yeah. So I was just, you know, and I had a TV show at the time, so I used to actually speak out against it in a fairly offensive way. And because I was just such a snot about it, you know? Uh-huh. And then someone said to me, come to an S meeting where Werner Earhart, who was the head of the whole thing, he was the man, is going to give a, a speech. This is a germane story, I believe. And I didn't want to go, I didn't want to go. And the person said, you must go, it's really great. So I'm like, am I going to be able to go to the bathroom? And he said, probably not. And I thought, why am I doing this? But I went, just like you went. And I was in a room with a thousand people in New York City, all quiet. And then Werner Earhart came out and said, um, tonight I'm going to give you a, a talk about the, about the importance in my life of having studied Tibetan Buddhism. Uh-huh. I sat up, you know, wow. And then he talked for three solid hours, and it was like a minute. Mm. He was a genius. Wow. He was unbelievably perceptive, articulate, humorous, and knowledgeable. Mm. And I was moved and changed by this talk. I mean, when I left, it was like, oh my God. And then I thought about it and thought, wow, why am I so horrible about these ass people, mm. you know? Mm. Because this guy is not what they said he was. It was a lie. It's like the media again, you know? Mm. It's like the, mm. whatever was the media then. He was a real target. He had a target on his back this time. Mm. Mm. You know, because celebrities would go there and yeah, all that. It was like Scientology, yeah. pre-Scientology. Yeah. But it wasn't really like Scientology. It was more like what you were talking about at SVN, which was that people wanted to relate at that time yeah. honesty yeah, about, yeah, their, yeah. about their emotional yeah. it, body. Exactly. That's, you know, yeah. that's and it, was, my prejudice disappeared. That's what all these things are about. Yeah. You know, relationship. And it, and, and, yeah. And it was um, actually very, uh, in the end, I think it was a, it was a great thing. And... Had you been there in our group, you you would have been fine. You would have been fine, and it just the they they did have a format that was took it to a, that other place, which was absolute bullshit. Yeah, I mean, what are you gonna do? They, I, you I, know, you but, can't. I mean, I had a fairly large apartment in New York for years on the Upper West Side. Um, one time, one of my lunatic friends said to me, "There's a, a group of of Rajneesh people." Osho people uh-huh. in Manhattan and they want to have a party and we thought we'd have it in your house. Uh-huh. And I said, well, I, don't, I don't know about that, you know, I mean, well, really? But they all came and there were like 30 of them and within about two hours, they were all copulating all over Yeah, I was going to say. Like, they, no. were, they were just shagging everywhere, you know. No. And, yeah, everywhere. In every I was going to say that. Fucking, fucking, only... fucking, fucking. And my wife and I and friends were just sort of standing there going, this is... This is so horrible. We've got to throw these people How out. How did you not see that coming? It's a logical Because we were told that these were the good people. I, was I mean, you know, God, by the way, there are lots of ocean people out there. I'm sure out of the people that were listening to some would love him. And he had wise statements, yeah. but he had 106 Rolls Royces and, he, yes. you know, whatever. Many gold watches. But we did. We actually, but we did. My wife, you know, and I just quietly went to her room and said, put your clothes on, love. You're out of here. 
Um, it took a while. You know, it took like half yeah, an hour. Yeah, each person. Everyone, <laughs> stop doing that. It's in my house. You can't just do that. That's really upsetting to me. I don't want to see your ass. And, you know, so eventually they left. Yeah. And they thought it was totally, I mean, they were just hating me so much. Yeah, well, they, they're, they're, it's like, well, who is this guy? He's really uncool. There's many levels of <laughs> ways in which we can encounter and relate with each other that are productive and that are not at yeah, all productive. Well, that's that one of them. Paradox, yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah, and they're always there. there. And it's it depends what you... and the, the great stuff. Yeah, uh, it's what you bring to it. It uh, is. This, um, which ties into this thing that... Uh, I, I've been reading a, a new Shambhala Sun. You know, we love Shambhala Sun. We love Tricycle. Dave and I, you know, read these publications and they prompt us. And uh, this particular one um, is uh, making friends with yourself, which is really what we've been talking about here. And uh, I'll just read a couple of things. Um, what do we really know about ourselves? Sometimes it feels as if all day long we are switching between various masks. It's as though we are trying to become someone. We do a lot of pretending. We might put on the mask of the hard worker, the slacker. We might switch to our sociable mask. I'm an interesting person or I'm an intelligent person. There are so many choices. We are expected or expect ourselves to be certain, uh, to be a certain way. And that is the mask we put on. We need to look the part. Our participation in this game of appearances can become so second nature to us that we hardly notice it, but occasionally we ask ourselves, which of these is the real me? Apart from all these appearances, who am I really? Do I actually know? We might wonder, do I really want to know? We are afraid of what we might find out. And this, uh, uh, there's a lot of reference here to our David and my most favorite of teachers, Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. Mm -hmm. And he talks about making friends with ourselves is at the very core of meditative practice from beginning to end and all the way through. It is both the basis and the goal of the path. Um, and I think that these kinds of things, when we get together and you get together in a group like I did, talking about this particular uh, men's group at uh, Social Venture Network, and. Uh, that is the first thing that has to happen with everybody. They have to take that mask off. And everybody in that group kind of held on to the mask of who they related to, the role. And we talk about, mm -hmm. uh, Ram Dass a lot about how he talks about roles, but the role of identity as what we do, not who we are. And uh, that was why I guess I was just prompted because I had I'm uh, maybe a little bit more identified since I had this experience recently in India with more of who the true nature rather than my role. And uh, so... I have a question. Yeah. <laughs> I got a lot of questions. How... What about the relationship between when you take off that mask, what you're describing when you went to India and you had this kind of transcendent, kind of otherworldly experience, and then you have to come back and engage with the world and uh, need to do it in a way that's productive and not also off-putting or alienating to other people who might not be on the same wavelength. What about that? I completely failed. Yeah, yeah. Right? I came back and I got into it with my, my wife. Yeah. Sorry, Saraswati, we got, but we got through it because our primary thing in our relationship is 
being more conscious people. Right. And we right. used, and we ended right. up being able to use the suffering right. of being caught to get through what it was that was happening. And I ended up stopping judging myself right. for for wanting to push away the world. That was the biggest thing. That's what I wanted thing. to ask too. Was that it was the same thing of mm. like, how, how do you integrate those experiences? Mm. You no, know, because we, that's what, like, it was transcendent, as you say, into this, which is really not inviting that to be a part of it. They're very, they seem separate, but I mean, I'm, that's what I'm doing, yeah. practicing that a lot. And, all the relationships that I'm cultivating, talking to people about these things, you know, they go and spend a year, you know, years with shamans. I just was talking to this guy, John Perkins, about this, mm. you know, the confessions of an incommunicate man. And his stories in the 60s of when he was a very young man with the shamans, and then coming back into this right. New York City. And, you know, people thought he was a, a madman. And, and like you're saying, you know, you came back and with your, with your own wife, Right. You know, you wanted to push it away. Yeah, yeah. And so you and have so to... And so how... Yeah, yeah. The, the, the integration thing is yeah. the thing that I'm really interested you know, in because I'll it ties you, up to the masks. I just recall this story that happened to me in India that is really is the essence of it. And that is... Uh, it's another happening with Maharaji, Nimkaroli Baba. I went to see him one day and he said, did you just... You were just with a Tibetan Lama? I go, no, I've never even met a Tibetan. Mm. No, no, you got some teachings from... I said, but I, I was supposed to get with a, med uh, with a Buddhist meditation teacher we were supposed to get with. He said, nay, a Tibetan Lama, he gave you teachings. I go, no, I go, Maharaji, I've never... He said, ja. <laughs> okay, off I went to Delhi to get a new passport. My passport had expired, and I was friendly with the High Commissioner of Canada because I worked at a radio station with, they were friends, my boss. So he invited me for lunch. And then I, I said to him at one point, is it before just waiting in, the, in, the, in his lobby, not lobby, his uh, drawing room. And I said, is it true Canada has been letting in um, Tibetans, refugees? And he said, yeah, as a matter of fact, he went, he just pointed behind me, a door opened and Kalu Rinpoche and a retinue of monks walked out. Kalu Rinpoche, I, I'm sorry, uh, you know, this story has been probably told on more than one podcast, but it's relevant here. And he walked out with a retinue of monks. We had lunch together, and the long and the short of it was the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Company, was uh, interviewing him. They brought me along with them, and he was bored from what they were asking, which was about Christianity, which he said, yeah. I don't know anything about Christianity. <laughs> he was really... And then they said, why don't you ask a question? As soon as I did, he absolutely just zeroed himself in on me. And I asked this question that you just brought up. I've been in the mountains, and I've been meditating and been pure and clear. And now I'm in the city, in Delhi, which is crazy, and I can't sustain this. Is do you need to be in a cave to be to get that inner realization? And he told me the story of the seven siddhas of India, all who became realized through their work. One was a weaver, one was a pottery maker, one was a wood, whatever. All became, and he said, You uh, being present in 
wherever you are, is what you need to work with, not going into ca to a oh, cave. Yeah. That is not necessary. <laughs> and so, what, what do you like? No, I'm laughing because I have something, reminding me of something uh, very funny. Yeah, any of it. So, 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 but more yeah. of the guts, the, the, the guts of it, the nuts and the bolts are that we had, and I just had this experience. Mm -hmm. I was so there, I can't yeah. tell you, when I was in this place with this uh, yeah. young bottle. And, and so not when I came home. Yeah. And I had, to, I had to accept that and surrender into yeah. that. I had to let go of my self-judgment. Mm -hmm. I had to let go of shame. I was, I was ashamed, mm -hmm. actually, as to what I was, how I was reacting, and so on and yeah. so forth. The basis of all that, which is the purpose of this uh, article, Drop Your Mask, by the way, it's uh, by uh, Judy Leaf. Uh, Judy's a well-known uh, teacher. Uh, is meditation, is a practice. Unless, without a practice, you absolutely are at the whim mm -hmm of reacting mm -hmm. to stuff, of being attached to the clinging of the mind. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so the, throughout this whole article, which is fabulous people, you can go online and uh, to Shambhala Sun and, uh, and get this, um, the emphasis is on this practice gives you a foundation so that you can really not be afraid to look at yourself. Yes. And in that moment, I was able to look at myself mm -hmm and surrender and things changed yes. from there uh, and they absolutely did yeah. okay what you were going to say something oh well kind of a funny story really. okay we need a funny story we're yeah. kind of at the end goes of against life. everything yeah. just um <laughs> <laughs> i was at the uh, brindavan temple Mar maharaj's temple there and uh i went with vikram Sony, who was a friend and um, Vikram is now was an astrophysicist of some reason, and now and a scientist of great renown. And he met Maharaji when he was five, when he got an illness and couldn't get over it. And uh, this old dude walked into the house and told him he'd be all right. And the child was healed, and that's how he got to know his parents knew Maharaj. Yeah. So I was there with him, remarkable person. I was staying with him, a, a scientist of the highest distinction. Uh, from the best universities in Delhi. So we went there and we met Maharaji's son there, which was the reason we went. And um, we spent about an hour with him. And then we came out and it was monsoon time. And, but it had been no raining. And then it started to rain like the clappers, as they say in England. It just rained a cloud burst and it was unbelievable. And the entire ashram was under, you know, one and a half inches of water. Mm -hmm. And it was unbelievably uncomfortable and hot also. But then um, Vikram asked me to, if I'd like to meet this 88-year-old lady who was with Maharaji, and I said yes. So we went to meet her, and she was beyond description uh, wonderful, and spoke no English, but she spoke to Vikram, and then he translated to me, and she spoke in a tiny little voice, and, um, and then Vikram would speak to me. As we were there in the rain, because we stood outside for some reason, uh, a bunch of kirtanwalas started to sing Hare Krishna with a loudspeaker. And um, it was okay for a while, and then they turned up the volume heavily on the loudspeakers, so that nobody could talk throughout the entire ashram <laughs> at all. 
And I only wanted to talk to this lady. I was not interested in talking to anybody else except her because, and we couldn't, I couldn't hear what she was saying. She couldn't hear what Vikram was saying. I couldn't hear Vikram's translation. And Vikram said, this is ridiculous. I'm just going to go there. And we went to a little, it was like a cloister of some kind. And they were sitting down there, these musicians playing. And he said to them, excuse me, would you just turn down the volume a little bit? Because no one can hear anything that anybody's saying here. And they said, oh, yes, we will. And he came back to the old lady and myself, and um, they didn't do that at all. <laughs> so he yelled across the courtyard through the rain, please shut it down, and did it in Hindi also, very loud, and they didn't. And he said to me, I know we're in a sacred place. Uh, he's been a part of my life for 57 years. But watch this. And he ran over to the um, speakers and very ostentatiously unplugged everything and yelled and cursed at them for about two minutes. And then we went back to our conversation and they just shut up. And the reason I bring it up is because it was very vivid to me. Uh, I just come out of the room where the blanket was. Not to tuck it out, I would inside, you know? It was a blue blanket, no, it was a blanket. And you put my head down on the blanket and had these, you know, ridiculously psychedelic flashes of light going through my head for we're talking about Maharaji's blank. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, and there were just these flashes going through my head, and th this all happened after that. So I had emerged from this. There was a little short line of people who wanted to put their head on the blanket, and um, I did it and spent a little longer than I think you were supposed to because I just I'm not you know. So I did, and then I came out and it was in the state of uh, which is utterly rare for me of peace of mind, calm, and goodwill to all men, women, and sentient beings. And I was just in this state, and I couldn't imagine ever coming out of this state. Mm. And then this shit happened with the Kirtan was was shouting and screaming, and in that ashram, yeah. there. Yeah. And I said to Vikram, wow, you are really harsh. He said, sometimes you have to do this. Sometimes you have to do this. They don't know their boundaries. We're here to talk. We're here to meet people. I want that to happen, not that. And they paid no respect to that. So let them shut up. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's really a very great story I just lived through, you know, from a kind of a bliss, consciousness being erased, being merged into something else, God knows what, and then into this shouting, screaming match with loud, and by the way, the amplifier was very bad. It was yeah, very like bad. Crappy, it, was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was horrible, you know. And there they were in that place that I'd thought about going to for years. We were finally there. And this drama, this melodrama happened. And, you know, and then we, we drove away after that. And, and when we got into Delhi, the car was um, uh, three inches of water in the car. Mm -hmm. We kept opening the door on the highway to flush out the water. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was a Tata car. Yeah. And it's the cheapest car known to man. I've never heard of the that. worst car in the world. I mean, it just was a terrible car. It was small and leaky and hot and terrible. <laughs> and the irony of this is that Vikram's brother was one of the, on the board of Tata, right? <laughs> he ran the company, but Vikram never wanted a, you know, a BMW, which you could get, you know, or a, a Lexus. Sounds like India. Like, yeah, it was all, everything crazy for about two hours, monsoon, screaming, kirtan, yeah. and just the all bliss the was shot in like with, you know, like an M16, mm. but it was all, it was all good because that's life. And I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there's nothing predictable about any of this. It's like one minute you're like this, and then maybe I'm schizoid, but 
it's all coming at you all the time. Yeah. It's not always nice. It's usually not. And, you know, you got to yeah. somehow persevere, ride this bike through this shit, you know. Just, yes. I, Go just ahead. Been, yeah, listening to obviously this the whole you know this whole discussion and it just made me think. You know, I grabbed my book. Um, this chapter I was reading, on which is entitled "The Law of Constant Humble Shadow Work," and it made me think of that. Mm. This is Andrew Ravi who's talking about the mask, Christ consciousness. I mean, he said he he talks about it. It lives within our hearts. Mm. This, this evil, this shame, all those things, it lives with it. And, and the only way, yeah, is to, is to confront it and constantly be purifying it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, but we all come to this in our own ways, through situations in yeah. our lives. And that's kind yeah. of what I heard in your story. Yeah. You coming back to, you're riddled with shame. Oh, no. Like we're constantly gonna be up against it. Mm. But for me, I'm just always thinking about, wow, you know, we're, it's our collective shadow that's, mm. that's going on out there. It's our individual shadow. If we, if I'm not like constantly bumping up against it and just acknowledging it, surrendering mm. that this exists within us. Yeah. And yeah. and you and you just told that story too. You know, this is kind of what we're up against. Yeah, absolutely. So when I read that chapter recently, it's like that. That is the work to be done. Yeah. For, for, and that's but that is why I love. One thing that the Buddhists are so strong about, mm. and we just mentioned it again, there has to be a practice. This mm. cannot be intellectualizations. Absolutely. You can't even intellectualize no meeting your shadows exactly. without a practice. And it has to be experiential. Yep. And yep. you don't know when it's coming, like no. David just said. Yep. It comes when it comes, out of left field. And what do you do then? Right. And then when you have that basis, you can meet it. Yes. Without that basis, it's very difficult. Yeah. No, you'll push it away. Yeah. And then you get into trouble. You act out, you're yeah. reactive, yeah. etc. Yeah. It becomes a larger thing yeah. in society. Actually, the laws of Christianity, if you think about it, they're sort of pushing the shadow away. That's mm -hmm. what, what I see. And Christ yeah. consciousness is the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I agree with that. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. Well, I think we're at the end of our little impromptu everybody field recording here in, in in this little we're all like camped out on a bed in a little hotel room mm -hmm. in the middle of like right a few blocks away from Times Square it's yep. kind of fun it's fun and uh, appreciate Noah you coming by and yeah. Noah's been uh, put this thing together for us and Henrietta I never met Henrietta before this no, is like we're meeting, meeting. And our meeting is in a within a podcast. This is all <laughs> due to David, who who is uh, an old friend of Henrietta's, and and asked us. Uh, we just thought, hey, great great opportunity. So thank you, David, for that. Yeah, thanks, David. My great pleasure. Mm -hmm. And uh, thanks everybody for supporting MindPod Network. And go to mindpodnetwork.com. Go to Mind Rolling, and you'll catch David and I and everything we're doing. Also, go to uh, mindpodnetwork.com and catch Noah. Noah, what's the name of the podcast? Synchronicity. Synchronicity. Mm -hmm. And catch Noah just started a podcast on the network as well. And uh, catch that. And uh, everybody else has got something going on there. we got a lot. Good stuff. Uh, great, great, great uh, stuff to relate to and listen to and so on. So see you next week. Bye-bye, everybody.